Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at Galaxy Finance. Call them on 1300 91 7740. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legend Series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. What defines us? What matters? What really matters? Is it the games you play or how you play them? Is it what you achieved or how you achieved it? We marvel at this guy for both. He did it the hard way. But who is Brent Tate? Brent Tate. Uh, I'd say he's a loving father. Loves his two kids. Um, He's pretty ambitious where he wants to go in life outside of the rugby league world. Um, and someone who's pretty content, I think, at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm, where I'm at and who I am. Talent can be taught, commitment and inner drive can't. So to resilience. You were known as a footballer with a lot of resilience. Where did you get that from, that resilience, as a footballer and also a man? Uh, I think a lot of it comes from my mum. Uh, mum's a... Uh, was a single parent bringing up three kids, um, you know, working a, working a couple of jobs, um, trying to keep things afloat. Um, and I think inadvertently you watch that as a young kid and I mm. think you pick up on those sort of things, Andy. So seeing my mum do that and sacrifice everything for us kids, I think there's some real life lessons that I probably picked up along the way off mum. Um, and we come from a country town called Roma, which I think, when you're born out there in some way, shape or form, I think it's part of the fabric and who you yep. become. A very proud 279-odd game career. How did you define yourself or how would you define yourself as a footballer? Um, definitely not the most talented, but I, looking back on my career, there's not too many games I walked off the field and thought I, I haven't given it 100% and probably even training, to be honest, Andy. Yeah. I think every time... I went to training every time I tried to play. I tried to do it as best and as hard as I could, um, sometimes probably to the detriment of your, your body, I guess. Yep. But, mate, that's that's how I'd like to be remembered anyway. A lot of your, your peers have said just that about you, that it didn't matter what it was, you threw yourself into it with everything you had every single time. That's a nice rap from your peers. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I think – I think the greatest rap you can get from your peers is that. And I think, you know, when you're in the dressing room as a footballer and I think when you look around and you you see guys in there, sometimes it's nice to just know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I'd like to think that, you know, more often than not when the Darren Lockyers or the Jonathan Thurstons would look around in the dressing room, they thought they'd look at me and they wouldn't have to worry about what they yeah. were sort of performance they were going to get. Your first contract was actually with the, the mighty South Queensland Crushers. Mm. How did that come about? 
Yeah, it was actually. Um, signed a scholarship with them. It was through Paul Bunn, who's obviously at the Melbourne Storm yeah. now. So Bunny had a whole heap of us over at the Crushers. Um, and he was a development officer out at Redcliffe, then went to work for the Crushers, and that's where I played a lot of my junior footy. And I uh, used to mow Bunny's lawn, thank goodness. So um, <laughs> that's back a in good the day. In. Yeah, yeah, it was a good in. So, yeah, Bunny took us over to the Crushers, and then I always wanted to play for the Bronx. So, like, it was always just a real boyhood dream to play for the Bronx. So, even though I was with the Crushers, it was always about the Bronx. And then, obviously, they folded, and Bunny went over to the Bronx, and he mm. took us over there. And, um, yeah, I guess, in a way, sort of the rest is history from that little moment onwards. Round 21, 2001, your dream came true. You debuted for the Broncos. What do you remember of the game? Um, I probably remember more the lead up than the actual game, yeah. Andy. Um, I remember there was three guys I came through playing footy with was Hodjo, um, Corey Parker, and myself. So the three of us. Yeah. Anyway, um, Justin and Corey and myself were all off contract at, at the time. Anyway, um, we were looking to go to. to different places yep. um, and I remember Wayne always grabbing Hodjo and Corey Parker talking to them and he never ever once grabbed me to have a yarn to me and I was yeah. getting real filthy I was like well you know Wayne obviously doesn't want me here because yeah. I haven't said anything so anyway um, Corey and I both went down to the Bulldogs and I got a huge offer from the Bulldogs I think um, it was a three year deal at a couple of hundred thousand a year way back then jeez that's good coin so it was a really good yeah. contract um, and I was thinking about going anyway Hodjo ended up signing with the Roosters and he left yeah and I remember Wayne grabbed me in the room and pulled me into the – we had used to have this little video room back at the Bronx and it was really dark. Anyway, pulled me in there with a couple of the senior guys and he said to me, you thinking about going? And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, what are you thinking – why are you thinking that? And I said, because you haven't spoken to me once. And he goes, well, I get on with your manager. I don't get on with Corey and Justin. So that's why I've had to go through them directly. I've been talking to your manager. And I still don't know whether it's true to this day, but to, to <laughs> Wayne's – you know, you know what he's like. Anyway, he goes so, – you know, what do you want to go down there and play with those sort of blokes for when you can stay here and play with Webkey, Lockyer? Yeah. And to be honest, he had me as I walked in the room, I was yeah. staying. So, and he said to me, if you stay, I'll, I'll play you a few games at the back end of this year. And I said, okay, well, I'll sign. And, mate, to my manager's credit, George Mimus. Yep. Um, George was adamant that I stay in Brisbane for one year at $74,000 a year. Wow. Uh, he said, mate, I'm not taking you to Sydney. It's not going to work. You need to stay here. And he obviously knew my personality and, and yep. you know, being close to my family. He said, you've got to stay. And, mate, I did. And thank goodness I took that advice, Andy, because I ended up, you know, having the career I did. And I definitely yep. wouldn't have had that if I didn't start at the Bronx. Who were the guys around you in those early weeks that you could look to for advice and guidance as a young man? Oh, we had a pretty good senior crew then. It was, you know, I didn't rem- pretty rem- good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I defended outside of Kevy actually, and great, you know, God bless Kevy, one of the great, great Bronco players, but horrible defensively. <laughs> um, it was an absolute nightmare. I think I lasted ten minutes in my debut and got hooked because Kevy was just—he was like a headless chook out there, all over the place, oh, mate. And yeah. blaming you. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Absolutely, he still does to this day. He goes, "Remember your debut, mate." Um, but but those sort of guys were awesome. Um, and, you know, Craig Bellamy was the assistant coach at the Bronx then. Mm. And, mate, early in my career, it was Bellyache who was pulling the strings. It wasn't Wayne. It was actually Bellyache sort of talking to me. Um, he was our fitness, strength, and conditioning yep. coach. So he was the one that was – he was the one pulling the strings. So early on, he was he was the main one I was going to mostly. Wow. Yeah, he was – mate, even back then, he was brilliant. Look, I was really sad that he left the club. To this day – 
I know if we're sitting in a bar or at a, a cafe somewhere, you still smile when recalling origin moments. The feeling it gives you. In 2002, you wore the maroon jersey for the first time. What stands out there? Um, I've actually got a really vivid memory of my debut game. Um, I got picked on the bench um, in the third and final deciding game in Sydney. Yep. I was really excited all week. I wasn't nervous at all. It was just pure excitement because, again, being a kid in Queensland, that's all you want to do when you, mm. when you live and breathe it. Um, I, you can't even explain it. It's just It was just absolutely the ultimate. So I'll never, ever forget. I, I almost describe it as an out-of-body experience, Andy. Um, it was the second half. Um, the call came down from the coach's box that I was on. Anyway, I remember getting the interchange card. I remember walking over to the interchange official handing it to him, and I had to take my position at um, ANZ Stadium on the far side. I, mate, I get goosebumps, I've got goosebumps even talking about it now. I remember everything just went completely quiet, and there would have been 90,000 yeah. at the old stadium. Anyway, oh, sorry, I've got the gooseys out. <laughs> and everything just went completely quiet, and I just remember jogging. It felt like it felt like I was almost looking down upon myself, and I remember looking at my boots, my socks, my shorts, and I remember looking at my jersey. And I sort of was running. I just remember sort of glancing up the field and seeing that maroon wall. And it was like that moment then I went, sort of went, holy shit, yeah. I'm playing State of Origin football. Like it was like, oh shit, this is the big time. It just hit you in that one moment. Mate, I got, got the goose he's talking about. It just, that was a moment it hit me. And then I, it, I guess the rest is a bit of a blur. But um, geez, what, what a moment. And mate, I had all my family in the crowd. And um, yeah, it was just a far out. It's such a... I love playing for Queensland. There's just something about that maroon jersey. Clarkie's Rugby League column is our social media go-to. On both Facebook and Instagram, it's daily, it's news, it's insights, it's fun and it's social with a huge following and plenty of banter between fans. It's unique footy content with all proceeds being donated to charity. It's on Facey and Insta. Check it out. Clarkie's RL Column. What a year that was. You, you debuted as an Origin player, named Brisbane Rookie of the Year, and a spot for the Kangaroos the end of the year. That's the stuff dreams are made of, isn't it? Yeah, it happened really quickly, Andy. Um, I remember my cousin come and watch me, and I sort of don't want this to sound like I'm big note myself or anything, but he came and watch a Colts game um, one year, and he said, you'll play for Australia in your first year. My cousin said that to me. Really? Yeah, he did. I'll never ever forget it. And I was, I was like, yeah, I don't know. He just, he just said that. He goes, "You'll play for Australia the first year you ever play." And I was only, I would have been seventeen at the time playing Colts. Um, I've got another Wayne Bennett story. I think when I actually got named in the Australian side, I think it was only after sixteen games or something like that. So it, it happened pretty early in mm. my career. And I remember it was a Sunday night. We played Cowboys at QE two, and we used to go back to the Bronx for um, like presentation night. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'd come through the announcement that, um, you know, I got named in the Australian side and my family was there and, like, all the fans and all the boys were coming up. Yeah, it, well, it was it – was, it sort of come over the, the loud mic. So wow. everyone was, like, clapping and and I'll never forget Wayne sort of strolled over really, uh, you know, as he does. Yeah. And he shook my hand and he, uh, and he pointed to my chest and he said, it's only four people's opinion and then just walked off. <laughs> That's what Wayne did. Hey, Wayne. <laughs> and I was like – Fuck off. Also, yeah. <laughs> but but in a way, it, it was Wayne's way of keeping my feet on yeah. the ground. You know what I mean? And Wayne has those special moments, yeah. you know, those ways of doing it. Like it was almost like, you know, congratulations, mate. And then he 
It's four people's opinion. Never forget that. <laughs> Strolled off, and I was like, "Oh shit!" You know him well enough inside his heart. Oh, he would yeah. have been absolutely wrapped for you, but he, he wasn't allowed to. No, show No, no, he wasn't showing me, and he was he was keeping my feet on the ground. But um, yeah, we went to the airport that night, um, and yeah, went went down to Sydney and um, far out. That was got a really cool moment too. Um, that I'll just touch on as well, Andy. It's a cool story. My under-13s coach, um, name was Trevor Gosling, he used to have um, – he had he had a one leg and we used to have to call him Mr. Gosling. So mm. he was probably the first coach who taught me that you had to work hard at footy. Yep. Anyway, we played that year um, with Mr. Gosling and I remember him saying to me, he goes, if you ever make your test debut, he said, I'm going to go. And he said, I don't care where it is. Wow. So that was cool. So I went to Sydney, um, debuted against the Poms, I think it was. Um, and as I was walking off the field, right next to the tunnel was Mr. Gosling. Serious? He, yeah. He, he lived up it. to his word, yeah. So, um, yeah, mate, it was, it was, that, was a, that made it all the more special because I'll never forget him, him telling me that. And then when I walked off and just – he was just sitting there smiling, waving. That's special. Yeah, it was really cool. I was like far out. Like that's – Look, I'd, and I called him Mr. Gosling because I respected him, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, within the next 12 months, the first year injuries, the neck had started to become a problem. What do you recall of the first time you thought or you knew something wasn't quite right? Um, I kept getting these things called burners. So um, basically it's it crushes the nerves in your neck that run down your arm and it sends your arm dead. So, you know, I got a couple of them and they were just burners – and I kept getting these burners after pretty innocuous sort of hits. Yeah. So I just kept coming and I'm like far out. And then it sort of got to the point where, you know, I was having some real problems like picking up a glass or it was just just my strength was day real to day bad. living problems. Pre- pretty much. And then um, we went over to New Zealand and I got a massive hit. I think Francis Melly, which I still have nightmares about today <laughs> when I think about him. Even shudder when I say his name, but. Um, he got me a really bad one, mate, and my arm went dead for a few hours and then about a month or two after, I couldn't even pick up a glass of water. And that's when I started going and getting all the tests and pretty much I uh, went to a spinal surgeon. He said, mate, you've got a really flexible neck. It's just the way you're, you're made up mm. um, and you can't play footy anymore. And I remember um, Wayne took me to that appointment yeah, with a doctor. drove with you. Yeah, he did. Um, and it's funny, mate, on the way home from the doctors, because there was no surgery, there's nothing to be had. He just said, said, until you can come up with something or you can't play anymore. And I remember driving back to the Red Hill with Wayne and I looked at Wayne and I said, like, what am I going to do, Wayne? Like, mm. I'm 22 and I've, I've got nothing else in my life. And I'll never ever forget the advice he gave me. He said, if you're a good person with a good work ethic, people are always going to want you to work in their company. And, yeah. I, was, and I sort of sat there and I, that sort of settled me down a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to be worthless. You know, there's... There is going to be something else after mm. it, but um, thankfully we came up with a neck brace, Andy, and I bloody got another 12 years. Retirement. Was it a genuine option? Was it a fear of yours at that stage? Yeah, it was. I think being young and pretty naive, you sort of – look, it, it, it was starting to get a little bit real, but I don't know. I just always sort of had, the, I guess, a feeling that something would work out. Yep. Um so, but it definitely was like the doctors were telling me I couldn't play anymore because you know I was, was going to damage it to the point where I couldn't use your arm anymore. So, but again, mm. I guess being a young kid, you just I don't know. You think you're bulletproof yeah. when you're that young, mate. That was until a young man whose name many won't know, 
but a name you'll never forget entered into the equation, Robbie Godbolt. Yeah. What did he do for you? Well, Robbie was the one who came up with a neck brace. So uh, he was a physio at the Bronx at the time. Um, the greatest physio I reckon I've ever had to, mm. just a, and a loveliest man. Anyway, um, we said about coming up with something that would stop that whiplash motion and my neck going all the way back. Because um, when it went all the way back, obviously crushed the nerves. So we started with a prototype headgear. That didn't work. Um, played around with a whole heap of things. And Robbie had an idea off the NASCAR drivers. Yes. So if you ever watch NASCAR, they've got the helmet, they've got this neck brace thing at the back. Mm. And I remember he took me to um, a orthopedic um, place where they make prosthetic limbs and stuff one mm. day. And we just started playing with a neck brace. And then all of a sudden, I had the neck brace that I wore, uh, moulded, fitted, um, we strapped it down with some Velcro and a shoulder harness and it just it had stopped that last 10 or 15% of my head going all the way back yep. and it stopped the burners. And, mate, thank God Robbie Yordbolt was a smart fella but actually cared enough to think, oh, I'm going to try and f- f- help this young kid. Yeah. Uh, and, mate, as I said, 12 years later, I'm still playing. Was it more of a physical barrier or mental barrier to overcome in your return to football? Definitely mental. Um because I was so scared of the pain, because it, it's like the most intense, horrendous nerve pain you, you get. It's it's just a horrible, horrible feeling. So I was, I guess, I was just really scared of getting those repeat burners. Yeah. And then um, I was really self conscious of wearing that because no one had ever worn it. Yeah. And I used to cop plenty from not only my teammates but from everyone else as well. You know. Um, so I was, I was really self conscious about it. And I was probably when I was younger, Andy, I probably wasn't. A real confident young kid, anyway. Okay. Um, so that I'd always take things to heart. I remember Mum always saying to me, yeah, man, "Stop taking things to heart." Yeah. But that's too, I don't know. You wear your heart in your sleeve, and that's who you are. So yeah, I don't know. More mental than anything. Even the teammates taking the piss out of it. Oh, Gordy was horrible. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what a surprise! Yeah. yeah, I know that a lot of people in rugby league will be shocked to hear that. But but you know, look. I guess back in the day, if they weren't teasing you, they didn't like you. So, yeah. Yeah. Did it have a name? Did it have a nickname? No, it actually didn't. Everyone would say, how's your pillow going? Or how's your surfboard on the back of your neck? Um, but even today, people go, oh, I didn't ne- recognise you without your neck brace. Mate, I'd love a dollar for every time someone oh, said funny. <laughs> I yeah. like, yeah, oh, no, I've heard that one before. But yeah, it's all good, mate. I guess in a way, that's what people sort of recognised you and, um, and sort of, I guess, I'd, I don't know. I think people's perception on me changed a little bit too because I, th- I guess I played really hard and aggressive and I was sort of – everyone said you're angry on the field. But after that, I don't know, it was almost I got a little bit of compassion from the fans. Yeah, in a way. I, I think you did. And yeah. from both sides of the border. Yeah. I think there was even New South Wales fans that thought, I don't like Brent Tate. Uh, yeah, but geez, he's tough. Geez, he's good. Yeah. I, I think it's, it certainly didn't define you, but I think it's it's part of – the makeup and the part of the story of your career. Yeah, I think so, hey. So I, I certainly felt a bit of a shift anyway. Mate, you battled through the extensive rehab. You're again playing quality footy. And in 2006, Brisbane played Melbourne in the GF. A beauty too. You scored a try, your first premiership with one of the all-time great sides. How special? Trying to win a grand final is is so bloody hard, as I now find out once yeah. I've finished. Um, so, mate, I feel so fortunate that I got the chance to do it. I got a little bit of regret with the grand final, Andy. I didn't. I, I was really disappointed how I played that night for some reason. I was, wow. Yeah, I was, and I didn't celebrate it the way it should have been celebrated. Mm. I, I remember after the game having a feeling of 
was sort of almost a bit disappointed than, than just pure jubilation. Um, but, you know, looking back now, it was, it's still really special, obviously, and it's something where it's when you finish playing, I think you almost – that's almost like your credential stamp in a way when you're yeah. an old leaguey, you know, yeah. you, or won a premiership. So it was a really special night, mate. We should never have won that game. Mm. Um, we were complete underdogs, and I just remember our senior player group, like Thorny, Petro – Webby, about six weeks out from the finals, pretty much drawing a line in the sand and saying, right, we're going to win the comp. And we are, you know, you young blokes just follow our lead. Look, that's what a good senior player group did um, and does. And, mate, we just got on the back of them, Andy. And without their leadership, we'd never have won it. And remember Wayne saying, we're going to take Melbourne on through the middle. That's their strength, but we're going to take them on through the middle. And we did all night. And, um, yeah, mate, we, we won the comp. And what a bloody... 2006 was a really special year. Thanks for your ongoing support of Andy Raymond Unfiltered. To keep them coming, we'd ask if you'd leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Best weekly Apple review wins an unfiltered trucker's hat. In part two of the Brent Tate story, the final tackle, the realisation his career was over and his amazing reaction. Come back soon. Legends. Legends.